Hey everyone, this is Stephen Alessandro Mace. I'm a licensed massage therapist in Western Massachusetts, and this is my first ever podcast. I'm super excited about it. It's called Anatomy for the Healer, and today we're going to be talking about fascia. So let's check it out. So people are curious, why are we so in love with fascia? And I I think a lot of the problem is that fascia's taught in such a boring, oh, by the way, and there happens to be this, this fascia. And granted, you know, there's so much to cover in a biology class or an anatomy class that unless it's relevant to your field, you know, how in-depth are you going to go? So connective tissue just, I mean, it just basically sounds rather boring and it's not really that important. Kind of straight and to the point, right? It connects one tissue to another. What, what more do we need to talk about? But in actuality, uh, there's some really fascinating things about fascia in general. One of the things to think about when you're thinking about fascia is that it comes out of the same stuff that bones and muscles come out of, these mesodermal cells. There's some interesting properties that are shared by bones and muscles and fascia that that I think need to be addressed in order to fully comprehend why us body workers are all freaking out like, yay, fascia, and everyone else is just sort of like, me. So I guess I should back up and, you know, explain what I'm talking about. Fascia is, it's it's sort of a, a loose term these days. There's actual tissue that's defined in the typical anatomy book as fascial tissue. But I think that a better understanding of it is not to just break it down and say, well, this is fascia and this is periosteum. It's, it's, it's easier to sort of like wrap your mind around like fascia is sort of an umbrella term for the tissue sacs around the bone, so the periosteum, and the tissue sacs around the organs, and the tissue sacs around the muscles, and also the tiny little tissue sacs around the muscle fibers. All of these membranous layers, if you will, are responding to similar principles, and so often we just kind of use fascia as this junk term to describe all of these things. And in that way, you can look at tendinous tissue and ligamentous tissue and, and, and see it as kind of the same thing as well. Now, I mean, tendons have the Golgi tendon unit, but I'm actually referring to the connective tissue aspect of it is all very much the same. And the typical, uh, though it's not scientific necessarily, but it, it's sort of a uh, uh, industry standard sort of way of looking at fascias that it's just kind of dead stuff that you cut through uh, to get to the more important stuff. And it's sort of seen as dead stuff because uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we didn't have the technology to see the the blood flow to the fascia because uh, we're talking about capillary size really tiny perforating vessels that supply blood flow to fascial tissue the thing about that is once it gets to the fascia there's this there's not a great circulatory 
effect happening in the fascia, um, but fluid does move through it. And we have an example of something, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar um, in anatomy where we talk about um, fluid not being circulated by a pump like in the, in the cardiovascular aspect of the circulatory system. But in the lymphatic aspect of the circulatory system, the lymph moves due to sort of like a, a, a hydraulic pressure, the, the contraction of muscle tissue and gravity and, and uh, movement in the body helps to slowly circulate this lymph around in the lymphatic system. And, and likewise, there is fluid exchange happening in the fascial system. It's just on a really slow hydraulic pressure. So if you don't move, it doesn't move. But nobody's 100% sedentary, so it is moving. It's just a slow process. But so far, the significance does not seem to be in the movement of the fluid, though that's really relevant for uh, hydration and uh, nutrient distribution throughout the fascial cells and the matrix of the fascia. The significance of that fluid seems to be that it is a carrier, not in the same way that blood is a carrier that we know anyway, it can carry photon energy. It can carry the energy of light through the fascial system. And a great example of how that might work would be the way that a laser will follow the path of water. You can do this experiment at home if you like. You can take some water and some propylene glycol. You can put them into some kind of container, shine a laser through the container, and pour the uh, water out. And what you'll find is the laser beam will follow the path of the water, and it'll curve with the path of the water. So it, it can travel right through. So the water becomes sort of this, like a carrier frequency for the light. So where are the photons coming from? Where's the light energy coming from to travel through the fascia? And, and that becomes an interesting topic. One easy thing to point to is the sun. And I think we sort of have this erroneous idea that the sun, uh, the light from the sun is picked up by the eyes and the eyes only. But an, another simple experiment you can do at home is you can put your finger over a flashlight. I like to use the f flashlight on my, my cell phone because it's this really hot point, but it's really small. And so I can cover it right up with my finger. And so there's no other way that the light can get around. And in a dark room, you can see you can see the light coming through your finger, but you can also begin to see begin to see the anatomy of your finger, and you can also see how 
translucent everything can be with the right amount of sun um, or the right amount of light. Light penetrates through tissue layers and that might be important in some way that we haven't fully comprehended yet to all of the cells in the body or maybe to specialized cells in the body that light get to them via other pathways than just the eyes and then that interpreted into uh, nerve signals. In the head there are light sensitive glands and there's specialized connective tissue that transports the light from the eyes to these glands and that is a very direct route so it's sort of acting like a fiber optic cable to transport the light to these uh, light sensitive glands and and that is significant for regulating our biorhythms for regulating our sleeping and waking cycles uh, amongst other cycles because if your sleeping and waking cycle is off the various cycles of your body will um, become off as well so if you're not getting proper sleep then your hormone regulation is off and if your hormone regulation is off then it, I, I mean it's 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 over because hormones regulate everything all of our biological processes so energy from the sun being somehow translated or traveling at least just directly traveling through the fascia not again not not having anything to do with the movement of the fluid just the fact that the fluid is there to conduct it because, you know, energy just needs something to conduct it. So, so that is a, is a really fascinating place. What role could fascia play in conduction of energy? And then we find out that fascia is highly innervated. At one point in our history, we didn't necessarily think that fascia had nerve conduction. And now because of electron microscopes we see that it has nerve conduction could fascia in some way be like a backup grid or even the primary who knows grid for the nervous system could the nervous system be interfacing with the fascial system in some kind of way that is helping to conduct nerve impulses or receive information from the outside world so that we can process our space and time. Does this matter to proprioception? And I think that it does, but we need we, we need more information, right? And and then there's this concept of piezoelectricity, which is just mind boggling. Uh piezoelectricity is um the energy you get from um, agitating or crushing a, a crystal, for example. And the matrix of the fascial cells is very similar in its constituency to that of a quartz crystal. So we're sort of this living quartz crystal walking around and, and energizing itself. It's been proven that putting tension on a bone will release piezoelectricity and 
it's also been shown that putting tension on fascia will release piezoelectricity. The function of releasing this piezoelectricity hasn't been proven. So uh, we're left to the myofascial philosophers to try and figure out, well, what would this do? And one interesting uh, idea that's been put forth is that we're sort of like a, a glow stick. Now, I, I, don't, I don't profess to understand exactly how a glow stick works, but there's these chemicals inside of a bit of plastic, and you snap them, and you shake them, and then um, they have this reaction, and and then you get a glow stick, and it'll last for, you know, I don't know, it'll last for the night, for sure. Well, I'm using that as an analogy for piezoelectricity. I'm saying that when our bones twist, which, you know, they can twist a little bit, and w when you um, run, you're putting compression on them, and, th and that's creating some piezoelectricity, and and the fascia is being pulled, you know, and when I say the fascia, I mean it could be the ligament, it could be the tendon, it could be the periosteum, it could, you know, any of these things are getting some kind of stress, and the myofascias, and the superficial fascia, the fatty layer of the body, and the, and the deep fascia, the sort of uh, saran wrap around the entire musculoskeletal system. And this fascia is pulled in all different directions as we move through our daily lives. And all of this movement is creating piezoelectricity in all these different layers. And again, I come back to this question of why. Maybe it's conducting energy. Maybe it's lighting us up, making us feel alive. Now, there's other explanations, obviously, for why you feel alive after a good run or good bit of exercise. It's, you know, there's circulation of nutrients, circulation of hormones, um, production of hormones in response. This layer of physiological activity needs to be explored, though, also. This piezoelectricity aspect to things really needs to be explored deeper. It has a function. And the reason I can be so confident in saying that it has a function is because thus far we have yet to find anything in the body that's supposed to be there, if you will. I'm not talking about tumors. If we have it, it has a function, uh, you know, and people people like to point to vestigial organs, vestigial vestige, it, it means has no function. And every time we point to something that's vestigial, we find out later that it has a function. You know, the tailbone is a great anchor point for fascia. It's even an anchor point for um, the muscles of the butt. So uh, it, it, it helps us stand upright. It helps us move about in our space. Yes, you could live without it. You can live without a gallbladder too, but I don't think anyone would argue a gallbladder had no function. A gallbladder stores and condenses bile. 
and gallbladder releases bile when when the fatty foods are uh, introduced to the digestive system. The liver can't do that. It can only make the bile. It's not intuitive enough um, because it's not wired in the right way to uh, to release bile on cue. So we need the we need the gallbladder for that. So you know, yeah, they can remove the gallbladder, but it had a function. The tonsils, the adenoids. We can remove them and you can still live, but they, they still had a function. So nothing in your body is functionless. And I would argue that there's there's no natural biological process in your body that's functionless either. There must be some reason that we're releasing piezoelectricity, especially in a system, the fascial system, which can conduct energy in the form of light. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. And also check out my website at anatomyforthehealer.com.